I'm excited uh, about this series that we're in right now uh, called Listen. And here's what I have discovered, that uh, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. And last week we explored this a little bit. We're used to a lot of noise in our culture. We hear a lot of noise, but we don't always listen. It's amazing how much noise is coming at us from such a uh, early age. My, uh, my oldest is 12. And I realized something uh, is not abnormal for him if I don't kind of control or moderate it. Uh, it's not abnormal for him to have a video on talking about how to play a game that he's playing on a handheld while the TV's on all in the same room. And I know that he's not listening to all those things, but there is just a cacophony of noise. So I can walk into a room and there can be three sets of sound and voices going on and no one in the room is talking. And it's a wild thing about how much noise is coming at us all the time. And we're trying to learn how to hear through the noise and actually listen. And this whole series has been about how do we actually listen to God. Last week, if you uh, missed it, you can catch it online, but uh, we circled this verse, uh, uh, John 10, 27, and, and it was Jesus talking. And he said, my sheep, listen to my voice, not hear my voice, listen to my voice. And you know the difference when you've been heard, parents. Hey, I need you to take out the trash. Okay. No, like, I need you to take out the trash. Okay. Hey, if you don't take out the trash and boom, here comes listen, right? I heard you the first two times, but no behavior shifted. I'm picking on kids, but I could pick on husbands. Come on, I can pick on wives. I can pick on all of us. We hear sometimes, but we know when listening has occurred because it's translated into new behavior and new action. And Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Then he says, I know them. Last week, we talked about how incredible it is that he knows us. For some of us, that's incredibly honoring, incredibly humbling. For some of us, that's terrifying that he knows us. And they follow me. They follow me. We listen, he knows us, and we follow. That's how it works. So if the scripture says we listen to his voice, we'd better figure out what his voice actually sounds like. Last week, we asked the question, what does God's voice sound like to you? And a lot of what God's voice sounds like to you probably depends on from how you see God and what God is like to you. Is the picture of God you have uh, 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 from TV? Is it Morgan Freeman? I'm not sure whose voice you hear in your head when you think about what God sounds like. I know for years I didn't have a picture of, of God in my head, so I didn't know how to discern what God sounded like. I just figured he was probably disappointed and maybe a little angry at me. So his tone was always a little bit cross, and it was always a here-we-go-again kind of a voice. But I get into the scripture and I look to see how God identifies himself and I don't see this picture of God that I've generated for myself in my head. As a matter of fact, when I wonder what is God like, the picture he gives me is incredible. Look at Exodus 34. You don't have to look this up. I'll put it on the screen. It says, the Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with him, with Moses, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, Listen to this, the compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, if I were to tell you that God was compassionate, gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, would that change his tone in your ear? Would that change the voice you hear a little bit, the perspective you have when you're attempting to hear from God? Because here's my fear. Sometimes we go to a place where we're trying to hear from God, but we have a preconceived idea of what God's like, and we filter his voice through that preconceived idea. And I'd love for us to have an actual picture of who God is when he speaks. Because when I think of someone who's compassionate, someone who's gracious, someone who's slow to anger, who's abounding in love and faithfulness, the entire tone of the conversation changes. If I believe that about you and I'm having a conversation with you, my whole approach to that conversation changes. And God says, this is what I'm like. Here's the problem. We used to always know how people sounded. We used to talk to people more. We knew the tone of their voice and the inflection of their voice. You remember when when we used to talk to people on the phone We used to hear their voice. The phone used to ring and it used to be in the kitchen, right? And we'd have to go and answer it and then hear their voice and see, and you could tell what they were like because you would actually listen to them. I remember, maybe I'm a dinosaur. I remember when the phone would ring in the kitchen and it'd be dinner time and you would say what? Let it go, right? If it's important, they'll call back. This is more important. Dinner time, right? That used to be a thing. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? What's a phone in the kitchen? Then a generation kind of went by, and we got this cool device. It had a, a little tape in it, and it connected to the phone. And the phone would ring during dinner time, and you didn't say, let it go, they'll call back. You'd say, let it go, they'll what? They'll leave a message right? And we can check the message later when we're not having dinner. That used to be how it worked, right? But now the phone doesn't ring at all anymore. Nobody calls, right? Instead, there's a different sound. I didn't test this to see if it would work, but it goes, it sounds something like this. Right, hold on. Right? That's the sound that we hear during dinner time. And you know what we say? Don't worry about it. it's not. No, we don't say that at all. We do this. And we take a look and we read what it says. And then we, we don't even say, excuse me, or, you know, don't uh, give me a second to check this. We just, it's natural to just interrupt. You can be having an intimate conversation with someone at the table and you hear that noise, bling. And you're like, oh yeah. So you just keep on talking and you just multitask and read that. You might even start texting back, right? You might even start shooting a couple quick messages. Like, can I call you right back? Or can I get you back to you or whatever, right? But our culture has completely shifted and we communicate all the time through these little instant messages, little chunks of information that are text messages. It's a fascinating thing to think about how the world's changed. You know how many people are in the world today? About 7.4 billion, and that was uh, 2016, I think, numbers, right? And then, uh, so that's gone up. Do you know how many cell phones are in the world? In 2014, there was 7.19 billion. It has actually crossed the line. I couldn't get accurate numbers. I wanted to put the most accurate numbers up there, but it has actually crossed the line. There are more cell phones in the world than people right now. That's cray cray. There are cell phones out in the world with subscribers, not just like bricks that are you know hanging out and uh, popping up a, 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 a 
table that's wobbly, like cell phones in the world right now that are out there active, there's more of them than there are people. That means many of you are dual calling, texting people with your normal line and your non-normal line. I don't know what's going on. Maybe your work line or something. So we've changed the way we communicate. We've changed the way we know someone's voice. We've changed the way we've interacted with people. And when that phone dings, we've changed the way we connect. So to get us kind of started, I want to just give you a little lesson about texting because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So I'm going to throw at you some, these are some of the top texting abbreviations out there, and I filtered out some of the ones that have uh, profanity in there. <laughs> but these are some, so let's see how well you do with this. Some of them are going to be easy. How about this one? Be right back. Yeah, that's a good one, right? How about this one? BFF. Best friends forever. Yeah, some of you have one of those, right? How about this one? Laugh out loud. Okay, it might get a little bit harder after, after this. How about this one? In my humble opinion. My humble opinion, right? That's, I'm going to say something that I think is right, but I want to pretend like I don't want to boss you around, but I still want you to think I'm right. That's what that means, right? <laughs> what is this one? Ooh, right? <laughs> I am not going to quote that. I can't have that on the podcast. Naggy, what does that one mean? Not a good idea. I don't know if you've ever used that one. It's one of the top, the top used ones, right? All right, it's going to get a little bit harder. How about this one? For what it's worth. Yeah, someone got that, right? For what it's worth, right? How about this one? Anybody know? Sent with a, ah, oh, sent with a kiss. All right, how about this one? Parents, you need to know this one if you don't know this one. Pay attention for a second. Oh, the teenagers knew right away, right? Parents are watching. Parents are watching, right? You see that pop up on a text, you pay attention to what your child is doing, all right? How about this one? I don't know. I need an interpretation. If you know what I mean, someone nailed it in the front row, right? I certainly don't know what you mean if you text that to me. <laughs> so that's, uh, that one's ineffective, at least with me. All right, here's the last one. Ooh. I love you. Yeah. I love you. I don't know why. That's old pager stuff? I don't know. It was in the top text, so it must have hung around. That's pager stuff. Wow. So we have a whole new language. The world has shifted. We're not listening to messages at the same rate. We're actually reading text messages. Now, why do we do this? It's so convenient. It's so easy. It's so sweet and to the point. There's not a lot of extra language that's involved. You can just get the information you need and moved on, right? Sometimes it's hard to get on and off a call. You just need information quickly, right? Like, I love my wife, but I, sometimes I just need an answer. Not, I don't need to know how her day was going yet. I'll see her at dinner time when we're not answering the phone, and we can talk about it. But right now, I just need an answer, and sometimes we just need quick information and an answer, and so we've abbreviated our language, and we've sent it through text. And here's the thing I want you to catch. Nobody ignores text messages and says, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to read that because I don't like to read. Right? Nobody does that. No one goes, ah, that's so inconvenient, right? Even if you think it's inconvenient, nobody behaves that way. So 
I was thinking about how God speaks to us, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if God would send us a text message? Wouldn't it be nice if God would offer to shoot us a message at any given time with some information about who he is and what he's thinking about whatever it is we're going through? Wouldn't it be nice if we had access to a direct text from the king of the universe, from our father in heaven? Wouldn't it be nice if we took a moment every now and then when it went bring and paid attention to what was going on? I was thinking about different ways God speaks to us. And I was remembering that the first message I ever got from God was a text message. I was at summer camp, I've shared the story and I was asking God if he's real and what he's like and I knew nothing about the Bible, I knew nothing about God, I knew nothing about a father's love. I was an angry kid and someone, uh, a speaker who had, had shared some things about God and I was like, if you're real, then what are you like and what's going on? And I grabbed open this text message and I just ripped it open to a random page which is better than not reading it at all and I put my finger down and I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you're not familiar with that, it's the love chapter. And it's a conversation about what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And I was like shouting at the wind, God, what are you like? What is this thing about? And here's God sending me a text message. I'm loving. I'm kind. I'm patient. I don't keep records of wrongs. I'm not easily angered. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. My love perseveres. My love never fails. And it wrecked me. You know how long it took to read that text message? About 30 seconds. I'm a pretty good reader. 30 seconds and God sent me a text message changed my entire life. Just saying. Sometimes in the kindness of God, he sends you a message. He's provided it through history, through time, and he's pointed it right at your heart. So if God sent us a text message and I'm in a room where people have come to hear something about who God is, then let me just ask a fair question. Why do we avoid the text message? Because we do. I'm gonna hit a couple of your arguments and then we'll dive into what it says. Here's argument number one. I don't like to read. You laugh a little bit, but it's true. You wanna know how many conversations I've had about reading the Bible where someone at some point has just finally said, you know what, I just don't like to read. I just don't read very much. And in the middle of that conversation, they're making eye contact with me and they hear bring and they look down and they read and then they're still talking to me and then they put it back in their pocket and they're like, but I don't like to read. <laughs> I'm just saying, if your argument is ridiculous, it's ridiculous. I don't have anything for you. That's a ridiculous argument. I don't like to read is a reason that I don't listen for the voice of God, that I, the reason is I don't really like to read. You don't ignore your text messages. It's not that you don't like to read. It's got to be something else. Sometimes you go, uh, you know what? I tried to read it, but it's just so hard. Maybe that's the one, right? I've tried to read it, but it's just so hard. It's hard. There's words. And they're in a list. It's so hard to read it. It's so hard. That's fair. I'm making fun a little bit, but that's fair. And then I talk to people and they've had difficult moments and seasons of their life and they're, I'm pointing them back to the word of God and they're going, I wish I knew that. I wish I, I wish I knew this information before. You know what's really hard? 
When you ignore information in your 20s and make decisions that affect your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and on and on and on. What's hard is when you have access to truth and you have access to reality that will help your life and you ignore it, so then you do the consequences of those things for the rest of your life. That's hard. I'm just saying. So God shoots you a text message you ignore it, the wheels are coming off your life, and you come to someone who read the text message saying, help me. That's much harder. That's much harder. So I don't know what hard means to you. Does hard mean requires some effort? Okay. Or does hard mean I have to clean up messes that I could have avoided? Does hard mean I have to recalibrate and go back? You know what's really hard is going back to someone you've wronged and trying to make something right because you didn't pay attention in the first place. That's hard. Just saying. Pastor Mike, it's so hard. How about this? I'm not really sure I believe all that stuff. Pastor Mike, I, I tried to read the Bible, but I don't know I believe all that stuff. I can't read it because I don't know if I believe it. Um, let me just ask you this. Do you approach everything you read and go, I'm only reading this if I know I agree? I'm only reading this if I know I agree. I'm only clicking on this article and reading it if I know I agree with it. I'm only gonna open this magazine or this newspaper and read it if I know for 100% that I already will agree with it and it's not gonna offend me or challenge me or make me think different or take an opinion other than the one. It, I'm not reading anything unless I know I agree with it. If that's your normal position, then you might have an argument with me. Short of that... The idea that you don't agree with something that you haven't read yet? That's a hard spot. I don't really have an answer for you. You don't agree with it. What do you think's in there? You might be surprised. There might be some stuff in there that you didn't know was in there. There might be some stuff in there that you think's in there that isn't in there. Do you know how many conversations I've had with people who are mad about something that they've misquoted from the scriptures that they've never read, but they heard someone else misquote it? It's like a game of telephone. This person got it a little wrong. Then this person got it a little wrong. Then this got it a little wrong. Then this person wrote it. I read it because I thought I'd agree with them. And now I'm talking to you because I'm mad about something that I think the Bible says. But I didn't read it. That's a bad look, guys. That's not how this works at all. That's not how this works at all. Do you believe everything you read? Just saying. That's not a good enough reason to ignore the scriptures. There might be some stuff you got challenges in there. There might be some stuff that jumps out at you. There might be some stuff that's hard and that's difficult, but there might be some stuff that's helpful too. I remember the first time the Bible was just really, really helpful for me. I was reading Proverbs. I didn't know much about Proverbs, but it was short sentences that I could understand. So I started there. And I'm in Proverbs. I get to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I was like, oh, that's so good. It had never really occurred to me that the way I speak either helps people relax and can be like a peacemaking effect or it gets people fired up. I was pretty comfortable firing some people up and I was getting in a lot of fights and it wasn't ugly. It was ugly. It wasn't working out for me. And here comes this nugget 
of truth that I didn't know was in the Bible that was helpful to my life. And since I've been 14, 15 years old, I've known Proverbs 15.1. And there's times, I won't point it at anyone in the room. I'm having a conversation with someone and they're ticking me off. And Pastor Mike wasn't always Pastor Mike. He was little Bay Area wannabe gangster kid Mike for a long time. And it starts bubbling up inside of me what I think I should say to get this conversation going the direction I want it to go. And you know what comes right over the top for me? Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then I got to think, what do I want to happen in this conversation? Do I want wrath to get turned away so that we can stay friends and have a relationship and figure out? Or do I want to turn up the anger? Because I control that. You know why I control that? Because God sent me a text message. And I remembered. You know how long it took to read that? About four seconds. Four seconds has changed my life since I was 15 years old. About four seconds. I don't like to read. I don't know if I'm going to believe it. It's hard. We have all these reasons that we don't want to read the text message that God sent to us. But what if it's possible that every day God would want to send us a text? Same way that your favorite person sends you a text or a post of encouragement, that maybe every day God would want to just send you a text. Maybe some days he's long-winded. You got that long-winded friend. You know they love you. And you take a deep breath, and you're like, oh, let me read this whole thing. I can't believe I have to scroll on a text, right? And sometimes it's just quick, and it's a shot, and it's helpful, and it's encouraging, and it's there for you. And you're saying, how does God speak? And I'm saying, he texts you every day. Why aren't you reading the text? Why wouldn't you read it? So I'm going to dive in just a little bit to the scriptures here and talk about this principle coming out in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, you should open them. If you have the Bible on your phone, you should open it on your phone. I'll just assume you're texting. You guys have phone down anyways. You should open the Bible and go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. Now, I love the book of Psalms. Psalms is uh, filled with poetry and music. Psalms is like God's playlist. It's like the top hits throughout history of God's favorite tracks. So every once in a while, it's like God wants to put a 45 on God's old school. It's a single. He spins it up for you. He's like, listen to this song. This one's really good. And Psalm 1 is like the opening track on God's incredible playlist. And if you don't listen to the opening thing, then you don't really get a tone for how the rest of the playlist is gonna be. Anyone ever try to get you to listen to their playlist before? And you're like, oh, like I can't commit to this. But if you don't listen to the first track, you don't know what he's talking about. And so Psalm 1's like the first track. And it's God putting on that 45 for you and spinning it up. He's like, oh, you're going to really like this one. And that's Psalm 1. It's important to recognize most of the Psalms were written by David. 
uh, King David, and, and uh, they're all throughout, his, throughout history. And here's what's so beautiful about the Bible. If I had time, uh, one of these days I'll just break out this. But here's so, what's so cool about the Bible is at times you're reading through the scriptures and you're reading the history of David and you're reading the, the story of his life and what he went through. And that's all like in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel and you're reading it and you're just you're like, this is so cool. This is his story, what's going on? Then you get to Psalms and it's like you can read David's journal of how he was feeling. Like you read the history of what happened. Then you get to Psalms and here's the heart. So it's like if you, if you watched a, a biography, but then you actually read the person's journal, both those things are happening in the scriptures. It's beautiful in the symmetries. It's amazing. And so oftentimes you're reading the Psalms and you see the heart of someone who's been through some stuff and you can look and see where was he at when he wrote this particular thing. And it's just beautiful. And Psalm 1 is David, and he's writing, and he's, a, he's, he's just young, and, 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 uh, and it's this amazing picture of someone who spent a lot of time as a shepherd, who's learned how to spend time in the presence of God, how to slow it down a little bit. Now, this is crazy, because they lived in a very agrarian society, right? Shepherds, farmers, like that was the pace. And in that pace, David's like, Whoa, you've got to slow down and appreciate God and spend time with him. The world's moving so fast, just relax. I mean, I just told you it's not unusual for in my house for three or four things to be competing for our attention. We live in this era of everything has to be quick and moving and, and we got to make decisions and we got to go and, and we've never seen more pressure to move faster. But in this culture, in this time, David was like, even at this pace, you gotta slow down for a second, brah, right? You gotta enjoy for a second the presence and the favor of your God. How much more in the pace that we're going at is it important that we slow down, drop a 45 on, and listen? So let me drop this 45 on for you, and you, I'm gonna read it, and then I'll break it down a little bit for you. I think I'm gonna read it just from my... Bible for you, because I want you to know it's in here. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1, David talking about spending time listening to God and receiving the text of God, And he starts with this conversation about how it's blessed for the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take uh, a seat in the, or sit in the company of mockers. And I thought it's interesting. He goes, he talks about walking, standing, and sitting. Verse one, he says, he says, don't walk in step with, don't stand in the way of, don't sit in the company of. And I was thinking about how Peter experienced that, right? All this tension happens. Jesus is arrested and he finds himself walking with a crowd that's wicked. And then they stop and now he's standing 
in the way that sinners take. And eventually he sits with them and they begin mocking Jesus. And they're like, aren't you one of them? And he's like, no, I never knew him. And David says there's this symmetry when you're spending all your time and energy with people who are a, a, a counter to God, who are resisting God. He's saying, man, don't walk in step with them. Don't line up your life with people who reject God. Don't line up your, your steps with them. Don't stop where they stop and ultimately don't sit with them. This, David says there's a path that you end up going down. He says, how do you avoid that? Verse two, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who what? Meditates on his law day and night. Now, I was reading this and it occurred to me when David wrote this, there wasn't but four to six books of the Bible written. So he's talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't know the last time you read through Leviticus, Numbers. Delight is not the word I normally start with. But David's saying, we are so blessed to have this information about who God is and what God's like, that we can spend time in that. How cool is it today that we have a complete text? You know how many books are in this? 66. Oh, there was a couple of bold ones in there. Some heads nodded, but I didn't say anything out loud, right? 66. I think it's actually kind of uh, weird to call it a book. It's really a library. Right? It's a volume of books, and there's history in there, and poetry in there, and prophecy in there. It's, there's so much beauty in there, and we have all of that. But David, he stuck with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all we know for sure that, that he has access to at this point. And, and, and you know what he says? It's awesome to spend some time processing what God is speaking to his people. Why? Because we recognize that the God of the universe loves us enough to talk to us. And he says, meditate on it. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. What does it mean? Basically, the short, easy way to break that down for you is just ask yourself, do I agree with what I'm hearing? Do I believe it? What does it mean to me? What do I have to do differently because of it? It's processing and letting it speak to your heart and, and applying it. He says, do that. Do that. Why? Verse three, this is amazing. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. If you're an underliner, you should just underline that. That's so good. That is so good. The connective tissue between receiving the text message of God and the evidence of that in your life, what that means. He says the wicked don't do that. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will stand, not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteousness of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let me give you some reasons why we should read God's text. Let me try to convince you, despite your arguments, that it's worth reading God's text. The first one is this, stability. Stability. How many of you like some stability in your life? We go, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a helpful thing. Yeah. It plants us. The reason we do the, the rooted curriculum and that it has that, ter that terminology of rooted is because we want to be planted. And when something has roots, it can withstand a storm. 
We talked about it earlier. We're all going to face some storms. There's no getting around it. You're not going to get through life without facing some storms. And the word of God makes us stable. It teaches us how to bend but not break every time I hit attention. It anchors us. When we face a drought, we have access to water that gives us life. When we face hard times, we know we're planted and we're stable. We don't wither. You know what's frustrating for me when I see really good people, really good people just wither. Just wither. They go through a hard season and they just wither. They're not stable. They're missing that water that will replenish them and give them life. Second reason, wisdom. 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 I, I just, I'm so tense of how often people come looking for wisdom. They're always asking someone for wisdom. Always looking, and it's good. They need wisdom. But this, there's like a wisdom deficit in the world today that's greater than I've ever seen. Just wisdom. How, how do I know what to do next? How do, I, how do I, what if I do this? What will happen? And wisdom, the best definition of wisdom is just beginning with the end in mind. How do I consider where this will go? But I've had so many conversations with people looking for wisdom. How does God want me to do this? How does God want me to handle it? Here's my decision that I have to make. I'm desperate. I'm looking for wisdom. And it's healthy to process that with other believers. But I can just tell you, there is a wisdom deficit if you have not spent time receiving the text message that God's provided for you. Why? Because you learn how to hear his voice. And you learn what wisdom sounds like. And you can apply that thinking to your situation. You avoid danger and you embrace good choices when you're spending time in the text. It's wisdom. You know what's really hard to do? It's hard to get a text message from God that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. And then go start a fight with someone because I'm running my mouth and then say, well, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. Right? But we do that. All the time. Well, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. I didn't know that would be the consequence. I didn't know that this bad decision might lead to this consequence, which might lead to this thing that I'm dealing with right now. It's wisdom. And then he says, there's a blessing connected to it. How cool is that? I enjoy when the scriptures offer some blessing. I'm in on those things. He says it produces its fruit in season. What is the fruit that the Holy Spirit provides to us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things that become connected to our identity and our character. You know someone's regularly hearing from God when you see the blessing, the evidence, and the fruit of that in their life. I don't know about you, but I could use some of that in my life. God's like, there's a blessing connected to that. When you put the word of God in your life, when you meditate on it, process it, then the Holy Spirit activates it in your life and suddenly there's fruit being produced and blessing and provision. That's how it works according to the scriptures. Whatever they do, it prospers. That's crazy. It's so amazing. How do you think that works? Probably because when you're hearing God's voice and reading his text messages, the things you do actually line up with his will. And when the things you do line up with his will, they prosper. How it works. Later, Psalm 119, right in the middle of the Bible, listen to how most likely David says it this time. Psalm 119, 97. I'll, I'll throw it up here. He goes, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Whew. 
Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. You want to be wiser than your enemies? You got to give some time for God to text message you. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. He's like, I keep my feet from going to places where I shouldn't go because I've been spending time listening to your text messages. I know things that even my teachers don't know. You wanna flabbergast your teachers? Spend time in the word of God. I know things that the elders haven't figured out yet because it doesn't necessarily mean you got wiser just because you got older. You might just have kept doing the same silly things you were doing 20, 30 years ago and you're just doing them now at a greater scale. He's saying, I got wiser than the elders. How did I do it? Because I didn't access the information that they were accessing. I went straight to God. And the information he gave me increased my understanding. Where am I at? I haven't departed for your law, from your laws, verse 102. Wow. For you yourself have taught me. Now listen to this. How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Do you know how many conversations I have with people trying to hear from God and just trying to figure out what path to take? What path do I take? Should I stay in this relationship? Should I get out of it? Should I take this job? Should I move? What thing should I do? I don't know how important it is to you to know what path God has for you, but you can't cheat on this one. If you want to know, it's going to take time with God's word. It just is. I couldn't make most of the big decisions in my life until God spoke to me from his word. I needed to hear from him text messages before I came here. I was up on the side of a mountain praying opening my Bible to my devotions and asking God to speak to me. And boom, right out of his word, something specific and direct to me. You know how often that happens? You know how many stories I have of talking with people and they're like, I was reading the Bible and I just couldn't believe that this thing was for me. It was written 3,300 years ago, but it, it, the same thing they were experienced, that God used that, come on now, to speak to me through time, through history, through space, to me. That's awesome. You can't cheat on this. So what happens if you ignore God's text? The opposite of the end of the coin. A text message comes in, you're like, yeah, bro, I don't read. Now this is too hard to read. I'm not sure I'm gonna agree with it, so I'm not gonna read it. What happens if you ignore God's text? Back to Psalm 1. You're blown away. You're blown away. He says, that person's like chaff that the wind blows away. You know what chaff was? Chaff is like the husk on wheat or even the husk on corn. It's the stuff that's not edible and it's, uh, it's light and it's just like the, the outside part of it. And what they would do is they would take like a pitchfork and they would throw it into the wheat and they would throw it into the air. And, and the, the stuff that was not any good, not edible, not consumable, not of value, couldn't do anything with it. They would count on the wind to just whoosh, blow it away. And the heavier stuff, the stuff that was good, that was healthy, that provided food, that would drop back down and that's what they would use to cook and to eat. So when he says that's like chaff, he's basically saying, if you don't get into the word of God, you won't have any weight. 
There won't be any weight in you to hold you, to ground you, to keep you there. And so when, when the struggle comes, when the wind comes, when it blows, you won't be rooted. You'll just whoosh, blow off and blow away. You'll blow off, you'll blow away. You won't be stable. I talk to people struggling with stability all the time. They can't put down roots. They can't stay. I have too many stories of people struggling with stability. And you know what they end up doing oftentimes? They quit the church. That's their out. I've struggled with stability. My marriage is having problems. My finances are having problems. My behavior, I got arrested, something happened. And now I, I'm struggling with stability. And because I don't know the word of God, my answer is to get away from the people of God who might know what's going on because I just feel guilty about whatever I've been through because I'm not stable. And so I'm like chaff and I blow away. And they leave. And they struggle. And they get into systems and patterns of struggle. And I'm just trying to protect you. If you're rooted, if you've been reading the text, you'll understand we're all going to face the storm. No one's getting out without any storms, okay? But if you're rooted, you'll have stability. And when something difficult comes, your instinct won't be, let's just get out of here. Just saying. The body of Christ suffers. The church suffers. Your family suffers. Everything, everyone suffers. Why? It was too hard. Sorry, being snarky. Jesus. No stability. What if God gave you your church family to weather the storms? I'm just saying. To have some people who knew you, who could look you in the eye and say, you're not alone. Guess what? We didn't think you were perfect. So we're not shocked to find out that our thoughts are confirmed, <laughs> that you're not in fact perfect. And we love you. God assigned us together to go through this. So let's just do it and figure it out. I'm just saying. No stability. What else happens when we don't, when we ignore the text? Compromise. Compromise, right? You start standing with sinners. Sitting with mockers. Sitting with mockers is a horrific picture in the scriptures, right? This horrific picture of, I'm gonna plant myself right here with these folks that say no to Jesus. That's a bunch of garbage. There's no way he'd ever call us to live a pure life. To, he'd never call us to, to love that kind of neighbor. He'd never call us to, like, and you just become a mocker of the things of God. And you begin to compromise. Your feet start moving down evil paths. If you find yourself looking at someone advocating for God and your position is to mock them, Better come up for air. I heard one pastor use this language. I loved it. He said, we disintegrate when we don't read God's word. This picture of chaff blowing away. We disintegrate when we don't read God's word. We have no substance. And I get this. When I'm not rooted and I'm not getting my daily text messages, I disintegrate. <laughs> Let me just be real with you. You know who should need to read the Bible the least in the room? Me. I'm pro. Right? I went to a Bible college. I'm in it every week getting ready to come deal with you guys. And I can just tell you, now that should be the case. Probably it's President Farmer. 
<laughs> who needs it the least. <laughs> but I would think he would probably agree with me. If I get too far away and I haven't been reading my word, you know what happens to me? I start disintegrating. Emotionally, I'm not as stable. I can't handle the storms and the tensions of life the same way. I start wondering, God, where you're at in this. I start trying to do more and more things on my own and less and less do I give God room for faith to kind of step into the gap. If I struggle, if I'm not staying rooted to the text message, I'm just saying, what chance do you have? (laughs) Oh man, you were not with me on that. I'm just saying, I'm pro. I have to stay rooted or compromise gets into my thinking, gets into my heart, gets into my actions. I have to do it. I'm just telling you, I have to. It's not an option for me if I don't want to have my life start moving towards compromise. Loss of hope. Loss of hope. Loss of hope. I just start thinking the problems I'm facing are too big. God was good in the past, but he's not good today. He loves everyone else, but he doesn't, he's just letting me struggle. Everybody else's story with God is better than my story. Loss of hope. Time after time when Jesus was faced with difficult moments in life, you know what he'd say? Jesus would use this phrase all the time. It is written. It is written. You can look through the scriptures. Time after time when he's challenged, when someone tries to pull him off of his path, off of his destiny, when he's tempted, when, when someone is trying to manipulate his behavior into something that's outside of what God has for him, you know what he comes back to? It is written. Time and time and time. Look through, through your scriptures. It's written. He says, I don't have to even make a decision on this one. I can defer to the text message that I received from God, who I trust, and I can just say, it's already been written. You, don't have, you can't manipulate me because it's already been written. I've read it. I've meditated, put it in my heart a little bit, spent some time with it. I own it. And now when you challenge me, I don't have to have this erudite defense. I can just tell you it's already been written. We see this picture, and, and, and you know that Jesus is tempted. This is so beautiful. I got to, a couple years ago, be in, in Israel, and I got to see the, the Mount Temptation, the place where, where the enemy took Jesus. Literally, it's still there. You can see it. It's amazing. And, and, uh, and, and see this experience. And Jesus was led out at the beginning of his ministry for 40 days, and he's led out into the wilderness, and he's tempted over and over again by Satan to, to, to try to take him off of his path. And during that time, he doesn't eat. Now, we did the Daniel fast last uh, January, and for 21 days, I just didn't eat sugar, <laughs> and, and I was grumpy as all can be, right? There was a little bit more, I didn't eat that, but you know what I mean? You just cut sugar out of my diet, and I'm grumpy as all can be. You take me 40 days and no food, you're just not going to lie. 40 hours and no food, you don't want to be around me. Just saying. Jesus is out in the wilderness, and, and the The enemy says, you know, if you're really God, just take these stones to turn into bread. That's not hard for Jesus, by the way. I mean, he took five loaves and a couple fishes and fed 5,000 people. Certainly was within his realm of authority and power to do that, to simply manipulate matter, which is crazy, and solve his problem. And in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, he goes, it is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy. 
He's quoting the law that he's meditated on, and he's quoting a story about all of the Israelites after they kind of were afraid and didn't want to go in the promised land, and now they're marching around the desert for 40 years, and they're getting manna, right? Remember manna? Every day, bread's coming down from heaven to provide sustenance for them. And how long did that manna last? One day, right? Except for the Sabbath, the last two days then, right? So they didn't have to pick it up that that day. It's It's worth one day. And Jesus says, he uses this beautiful picture because he's read the word of God. He's got the text message vibrating on his hip, more or less. And he says, hey, don't you know that you can't tempt me to compromise in any which way because I already have the answer. And the answer is I don't live for the things that just please this body. I live to please my father. And I live based on every word that comes from his mouth. Now, I was tempted to to not go here, but I think this is a beautiful picture because that manna lasted for one day. How important is it that you get a fresh, because after a day, that wasn't good anymore. How important is it that you get a fresh text message from God every day? How important is it that you get a fresh text message from God every day? You know, early on in my ministry, I was, uh, uh, it was, uh, interning. So I was just, I was just a baby, just getting started, right? I'm interning 40 hours a week and I'm, I'm uh, learning how to do this thing and I'm giving my heart and trying to figure it out. We're living in a stranger's basement, just doing ministry for free, figuring out how it goes. And I'm watching uh, my, my lead pastor at that time. And he would, he would do a Bible study on Wednesday, a message on Sunday, and then another message on Sunday night, different than that. So three messages a week. And I was learning how to prep. I was doing like Sunday school and, uh, and a couple Wednesdays a month. And it was wearing me out trying to just prepare that many messages. And so I was, I was talking to him and I was like, I was like, pastor, how do you preach three messages a week? And then a funeral happens, something happened. And then, like, you're just adding all of these things. How could you possibly do that? And he gave me this illustration. It was beautiful. And I've always remembered it. He said, listen, imagine that you were cooking a, a, a pot of stew and you're cooking it on Monday and you cook it all up and it's good and you serve it and it's awesome. Then you leave that pot on the, on, the, on the counter. And then the next day you come back to it and you're like, oh, let's eat this again. And you scoop it out into the bowls and you eat it and you serve yourself again. Day two, it's probably okay. Then day three comes around, you go back to that pot of stew and it's still sitting on the counter and you serve it to yourself. And by the third day, you're going, oh, this is questionable, but I'm hungry. By day four, it's now molded and probably toxic. By day five, it might kill you. He says, that's how I approach the word of God. God gives me a fresh word today. And if I'm serving out of that fresh word, it's gonna be good for anybody who I run into. If I get a text message for today, that's gonna be healthy for anyone I run into. But if the last time I got a text message was a week ago, and I'm trying to feed you and serve you and get something out of my life to someone else from something that I haven't freshened up for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year, a few years. You know how toxic that thing has gotten? Just like manna, it's fresh and alive for you if you go to it daily. Just saying. Food is essential for your physical energy and God's word is essential for your spiritual energy. You wanna have energy to accomplish what God's called you to do but you don't have margin or time to read the text, I'm just telling you it's not gonna work. Pastor Mike, how do I get it? Where do I start? I'm so glad you asked. Let me just uh, make one thing clear. Do you wanna know who God's, what God's ultimate text message was and is? It's Jesus. 
and spending time with Jesus and recognizing that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that when I sit down to read the Bible, I'm spending time with Jesus will help you kind of break the seal off of how do we start? Because when you meditate on God's word, you're meditating on Jesus. That's why he's so helpful. It's so encouraging. Now, there's lots of ways to do it. Lots of ways to do it. And I thought about spending time selling everyone to do it the same way. And eventually I might, because I just don't know how else to help you do it all the time. I Life Journal. Many of you know what Life Journaling is. I had, to, I had to restart Life Journaling again. I had taken a break. But here's all I do. I take a Bible reading plan. And I do this on purpose. Because without a plan, you're going to have a bunch of well-worn gospels and some lonely prophets, I heard someone said one time. Right? <laughs> and that's okay. You got to start somewhere. But if you don't have a plan to read through the Bible in a, in a year, two years, I don't care how you do it. Right? If you don't have some kind of plan of how you're going to approach reading the Bible, you're just not going to do it. So, so I take a plan. It tells me, hey, read this every day. And I check a box. Right? I get a journal. I used to do all my journaling uh, by hand. And then I started journaling always on my iPad. And then I realized if I see my hand write it, I'm just better. Even though I hate writing things by paper. Like, I'm so, just so 20 years ago. But I do it. So I get a journal, and I get a pen, and I get a reading plan, and I have a text for that day, and I read it. And I go, okay, so I'm going to read. This last week, I remember I was reading Daniel chapter 1. And I'm just reading it. And I'm asking God the whole time, hey, would you just speak to me from this text message? And it doesn't take forever. It doesn't take hours and hours and hours and hours, but it can. And I'm reading through, and I'm just saying, give me some fresh, something that's for me from this. And I'm reading it, and I come across Daniel. I'm just, this is straight out of my devotions from this week. I come across Daniel, and he doesn't want to eat the food and the wine and the things that he's been, you know, they've been captured. He's in, uh, he's in captivity, and he's kind of been giving special treatment because they want to get the royal people uh, that they've captured to integrate into their culture and to get, leave their uh, uh, original culture behind, and Daniel doesn't want to do that. And so he doesn't want to eat it. And it says he made a decision. He made up his mind not to do it. But then he went to the guard and he asked for permission to do what he had made up his mind to do. I'd never read it this way before. And I thought, how often, this is just for my devotions, how often do we make up our mind and then we're unlike, we don't even engage with the, and so what I wrote was, sometimes I forget to ask for favor. And I hear from God, but I still can ask for favor. And I could say, God, I'm going to draw this line, and this is going to be who I am, but I can still go to the governing authority, even wicked governing authorities at this time, people who were over him, and say, is there any way that you'll respect my heart and desire to please God? And if you don't, I'm still going to please God. But he went and asked for favor, and I wonder how often we leave favor on the table. This was going to be a message someday. You just got it. How often do we leave favor on the table because we're unwilling to go deal with the potential conflict of our convictions? And I thought Daniel, as a young teenager, was willing to stand for his convictions, risk the conflict. He never said, if you don't do it, then I'll change my position away from God. He just said, let me go see if maybe in this instance God would give me favor. And I was just like, I never want to leave any favor on the table. God gave me a text message. Bam. I have that now. That's part of me. It's in my core and in my heart and in my identity. It wasn't there before, but God shot me a text through time and space and history to my heart, to challenge me to never leave favor on the table. Don't compromise, but don't leave favor on the table. There it is. Free one. Text message. That was my text message from this week, so it's still pretty fresh. 
Why am I sharing all this with you? Because God wants to do that for you. And he will. One of the... Uh, small groups that I, I'm starting out there. Just, uh, it's a, just a guy's devotional group. If you, if you want to start doing some devotions, Wednesday, 6 a.m., whatever coffee shop can hold however many people want to do it, we'll just do some devotions. Just start teaching and training ourselves to get into the Word and read a text message. Gentlemen, there's ladies, Bible studies, and all kinds of opportunity. I'm not discriminating. It's just guys that want to come do coffee with me and get into the Word of God on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., and we're just going to read the text message, see what God reads to us, and then share with each other. High five, drink coffee, go to work. That's what we do. So we can be stronger. Would you stand with me? I feel like I preached you into submission here. You guys are getting tired. <laughs> Stretch it out a little bit. And I'm praying this, that your heart would be challenged to every day Receive a little text from God. Start small. Just like when you started giving, you, you didn't just start over the top. Maybe you haven't even started yet, so you need the same principle to apply here. Start small. Start with something you know you can be faithful to. Ten minutes. One psalm. One proverb. Start somewhere. Start daily building. into. Just like when you start trying to get in shape, right? You didn't do like a three-hour workout, workout the first time because then you would never go again. You'd be fried, right? You got to build up. You got to build up just like this muscle needs a build up. Start somewhere. Get a Bible plan. There's on the, it's, it's sign up Sunday. There's little, um, what are they called? Bookmarks? There's bookmarks of the Bible reading plan that I'm doing right now that are on the counter over there. You can just grab one, right? And we're in September, which is the end of it. The next ones will go out there. That's what I read every day. You can text me and be like, hey, what'd you think about this? It's totally good. It'd be awesome. But that's my challenge, my invitation for you. We're talking about how do we hear God's voice. It starts by reading the text messages. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpackage hearing from the Holy Spirit and coming together in community and hearing from God together. We're going to unpackage all those things. But if you're not willing to read the text message, you're probably not going to go any further than that. So I'm just saying, this is a bold-faced, I'm not trying to hide it at all, plea from your pastor to read your Bible. So if you missed all the other things and were checked out, that's what today was about. Please read your Bible. Please. Why? Because there's life in there for you. There's hope in there for you. And when you're stable and when you've experienced the blessing of God, then you bring something into the family that gives life to everyone else and you're part of the whole thing. And it's amazing. And there's hope that gets renewed and it's available for you. And I want it for you. I want you to be rooted. I want you to be planted. As you leave and go out this door, there's a bunch of small group opportunities. If you haven't done Rooted, I'm telling you, start there. There's Sunday and Thursday nights it's available. Start there, get somewhere, some traction, and start moving towards Jesus with us. Jesus, we love you. <laughs> Thanks for your faithfulness. Thanks for reaching through time and space and, and history and culture and somehow through your amazing and incredible compassion towards us, preserving text messages that are valuable to us daily and can strengthen and encourage our lives for today and for every day. Thanks for loving us enough and being kind enough to us to speak specifically to us. Thanks that you take the word of God and use it to sharpen us 
to cut through all the nonsense, to give us truth and wisdom and strength for each day. And I pray that we'd be challenged to dive in and to grow because we don't wanna be like chaff. We don't wanna be light and, and able to just blow away at the, at, the, at the first sign of the storm. We wanna put down roots. We wanna have strength and we wanna be able to accomplish what you've called us to do and to know what that is because of the presence of your word. We love you. We thank you. We appreciate your kindness towards us. And, and God, I just pray you'd stir in us a desire to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.